If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift, made possible by Envy Pillow. Created by two registered nurses in Canada, Envy Pillow has a unique ergonomic design to reduce wrinkles, help with TMJ pain, and align your neck and spine. And now, listeners to Drift get 10% off all purchases using the code DRIFT. Learn more in the morning at Envy, envypillow.com. Before we get to our drift story, the author, O. Henry's Gift of the Magi, reimagined here just for you. I want to help you get in the right spot to listen to, to enjoy, and to completely relax and immerse yourself in a tale of love, of irony, and always, always of hope. Take a moment to stretch all the way to your toes. If you can, curl those toes. Then, let your hands hold tight into a fist. Now, feel the release, the relief of letting them go. A light tingle as you notice the wonderful idle feeling of these parts that do so much and now I want you to let your shoulders just drop your neck and jaw releasing the hold that you carry through the day let your feet your arms your hips just go and as you settle into that perfect spot in bed Join me in taking one deep breath. Inhale. And exhale. And one more. This time, taking in the perfection of this moment. And exhaling your cares of the day. Good. Thank you for that and for being here for this classic story one that I think of more often than almost any other perhaps something like this has even happened to you so if you're ready we shall drift this story is set in a time when precious things cost so much less but carried equal value to what we hold dear in our own lives in these days of higher costs when so many know the price of everything and the value of nothing my own mother used to say to me you can't live on love in her way she was telling me to find a good provider not knowing that I would turn out to be one myself thank you 
But the couple in this classic tale are very nearly doing that, living on love because they have not much else. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. That was all, and most of it in pennies. Each cent was saved, earned, really, by bartering relentlessly with the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one was red in the face, not from anger, no, not at all, but from the embarrassment that could rightfully be inferred to have come from being so very close to poverty. Still, though, there was that precious one dollar and eighty-seven cents, sixty-seven in pennies. Della knew the number for sure because she had counted it and counted it again and once more to make sure. And then she cried. She threw herself down on a hard and stained old small couch which had come with the studio apartment in which she and her husband lived. It was truly the most they could afford, and barely at that. The pipes shuddered and banged at all hours. In that apartment, they froze or they baked, depending upon the season. And the wind whistled through leaking and cracked windows like a melancholy harmonica. On this couch did Della bury her face in the crook of her elbow and cry her heart out, reminding one that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. The stale odor of pipe smoke in the sparse cushions of the nearly threadbare couch brought her to sit up again and look about at her meager surroundings. For eight dollars a week, it was described as furnished although the very word greatly exaggerated their two kitchen chairs, which not only failed to match each other, but whose legs were not of even length either. The table, once a sunny yellow, wore the faded inconsistency of an ear of old corn, stained in spots from unattended cigarettes or scratched deeply by a likewise unwatched child. Outside the tiny apartment's door, wooden and painted so often that it was likely at least a half inch thicker now than when it was first hung so many decades ago, was a small brass bracket into which had been fit a card. Della had written upon it, Mr. and Mrs. James Dillingham Young. How posh did that sound? That middle name, with all of its conjured images of top hats, a vision that might have been less of a dream and more of a possibility when its possessor was being paid $30 per week. But now the income had shrunk to $20. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home, and climbed the three flights of uneven and groaning, splintered stairs to his flat, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, already introduced to you as Della. Middle name or not, she loved him, 
with the same quiet consistency as she had the day they wed before a justice at City Hall. She adored him as he did his Della. On this day, with James's return home still hours off, she arose from the couch and stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. There was not much to see that reflected the festivity of the calendar, for tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and that $1.87 she was counting repeatedly, it was all she had with which to buy Jim a present. She'd been saving every penny she could for months. This was the result. After all, even for the fiercest of shoppers, $20 a week doesn't go far. And expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Jim, her Jim. Many a happy hour she had spent dreaming and planning something nice for him, something fine and rare and sterling, something even just a bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. Something as precious as the man himself. As she gazed out at the overcast day, the slate skies reflecting her demeanor, she briefly caught a glimpse of herself in the wavy glass. A thought flashed through her mind, illuminating her eyes for a moment. For accompanying her idea was a tumbling feeling in her stomach that caused her face to go even whiter than it already was. As the thought took hold, Della slowly reached up and took out the pins that were holding her hair in place. With a light shake, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. I should tell you now something you need to know. There were two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's before him. And the other, well, the other was Della's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba herself lived in the flat across the courtyard, why, Della would have let her hair hang out the window some day to dry, just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor in the building, with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed, just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again, nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood still where a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. She hesitated no longer, for Della was a young woman with strength 
and determination, and she would need both to carry out this idea that had come to her in her reflection. On went her old brown jacket, on went her old brown hat, with a whirl of skirts and with the brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. She ran too fast to let her doubts catch up with her. How many years had she grown it? Was it not her crowning glory? Were her locks not what people saw first when they looked at her? Seeing past the tattered clothes, the sadness in her eyes, the worry lines forming on her young face. At last, she stopped in front of a sign that read, Madame Sophronie, hair goods of all kinds. One flight up, Della ran, then collected herself, panting, smoothing her hair, and raising her chin. Madame, large, hardly looked the Sophronie. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, said Madame. Take your hat off and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down, down, rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars, said Madame, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. Taking a sharp inhale, Della said in a steady voice, give it to me quick. Oh, and the next two hours flew by. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It must have been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores. And she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain. Simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone, and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him, quietness and value, the description applied to both. Twenty-one dollars they took from her for it, and she hurried home with the eighty-seven cents jingling in the small wallet she had tucked deep in her skirt pocket. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company, for as grand as his watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly, embarrassed by the old leather strap he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication and excitement at having found her dear Jim, the perfect gift, gave way a moment to prudence and reason. What to do with this hair, which hadn't been so short since she was a young girl still climbing trees and skipping rope? She got out her curling irons and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friend, a mammoth task.
Within forty minutes, her head was covered with tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She examined her reflection in the mirror, long, carefully, and critically. Oh, what will he say? Probably that I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and eighty-seven cents? At seven o'clock, the coffee was made, and the frying pan was on the back of the stove, hot and ready to cook the chops, as they always do when one's heart is fluttering in nervous anticipation. The hands on the yellowed face of the wall clock moved as if mired in molasses. Jim was never late. Della fondled the fob chain in her hand. It had been folded in a delicate and precious handkerchief, embroidered by her late grandmother, the most meaningful and beautiful wrapping she could imagine. The cloth absorbed the moisture in her palm as she clutched it. With the other hand, she propped herself up to sit on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. And she waited. 7.05, At exactly 7.14, there it was. The sound of a door closing. She heard his step on the ancient stair, away down on the first flight. Just for a moment, the color drained from her face and she whispered a quiet prayer. Please, God, make him think I am still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked very thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only 22, and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat, and he was without gloves. Perhaps next Christmas, she thought quickly, but not this year. Jim stopped inside the door, as immovable as a setter at the scent of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not read, and it terrified her. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. He simply stared at her, fixed, with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went for him. Jim, darling, she cried, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold it because I couldn't live through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a beautiful, nice gift I've got for you. You've cut off your hair? Asked Jim laboriously, as if he had not yet arrived at that patent fact, even after the hardest mental labor. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me just as well, anyhow? I'm me, without my hair, aren't I? 
Jim looked about the room curiously, almost as though he was not just searching, but trying to take in the impossibility of it all, as if waking from a dream and unable to recognize where he was. You say your hair is gone? He said with an air almost of idiocy. You needn't look for it, said Della. It's sold, sold and gone to the hair lady for wigs. It's Christmas Eve, love. Please don't be angry, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered, she went on with a sudden serious sweetness. But nobody could ever count my love for you. Now, Jim, she said, attempting to divert his attention from her hair to his stomach. Shall I put the chops on? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He took Della into his arms and held her tight, kissing the top of her curls and rocking her gently in his arms. For ten seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week or a million a year, what is the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and tossed it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell, about me, he said. I don't think there is anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. With fingers pale and nimble, she tore at the string and paper. Della's eyes grew wide, and she let loose an ecstatic scream of joy. And then, alas, quick change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the Flat. For there lay the combs. The set of combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped for so very long, the ones that had held a place of glory in a Broadway window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful, vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without even a sliver of hope that they should one day be hers. And now they were. But the tresses that should have adorned the coveted ornaments were gone. She hugged them to her chest, and at length, she mustered a smile through her tears. She was able to look up with dim eyes and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a surprised kitten and cried, Oh! 
Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm, where the handkerchief had fallen open. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it just gorgeous, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to check the hour a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on it. Instead of reaching for his watch, though, Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hand under the back of his head and smiled. Dell, said he, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use right now. And I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. Now, suppose you put the chops on. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here we have related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a small apartment who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. All who give and receive gifts such as they are wisest. Everywhere, they are the wisest. They are the magi. And there we have it. Did Della's hair grow back? It most assuredly must have. Was Jim able one day to get his family heirloom watch returned to him? Oh, we can only hope so. But as I say, this O. Henry story, the gift of the Magi, comes to my mind more often than almost any other. I have no idea why. <laughs> With that, I wish you a good night. Now drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>